So I'd like to welcome you all to Sunday service here at Ananda Village. I'm Naya Swami Parvati. This is Naya Swami Pranaba. And we're very happy to be back here with you. We were just joking on the way down the stairwell that we're not in Delhi this weekend. <laughs> we just spent um, for, well, the month of October, basically, visiting the Ananda centers in Pune and in the Delhi area uh, of India. So I would like to read now, and also welcome to all of our guests and visitors. We're very happy to have you all with us today. The topic this week from Rays of the One Light, Faith is a Call to Prayer, Prayer is a Call to Faith. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapters 7 and 21, we read, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Verily I say unto you, If you have faith, and doubt not, if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Paramhansa Yogananda showed by his own example that prayer is a power, provided we believe deeply in that power. When our thoughts and feelings are strongly focused and then united in growing awareness to the divine presence within, they can bring even seemingly unrealistic wishes to fulfillment. When Paramhansa Yogananda was in charge of his school in Ranchi, India, he took the boys on occasional outings to the surrounding countryside. There was a waterfall not far away, he said, he told Swami Kriyananda, where I took them sometimes. It was dangerous to cross there, but I would cry out to the boys, Do you believe in God? Yes, they would shout back enthusiastically. And so we always crossed in safety. <laughs> Years later, after I'd gone to America, one of the teachers tried to do the same thing, but he lacked spiritual power. One of the boys slipped on a rock and was drowned. Thus the Master explained, Belief alone is not enough. It must be united to one-pointed awareness, which leads to self-realization. The Bhagavad Gita in the sixth chapter underscores the necessity for such one-pointed concentration. Whenever the mind, fickle and restless, wanders off from its concentration, let the meditating yogi withdraw it resolutely, spurning every distraction, no matter how alluring, and bring it back again and again under the control of the self. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. I'd like to read to you from Paramahansa Yogananda's book of Answered Prayers, Whispers from Eternity. 
Volumes of thy Savior voice resound to the loudspeaker of every loving heart. The voice of thy wisdom roams through the ether space, seeking everywhere hearts that are tuned to ecstasy. O divine broadcaster, tune our souls, long distracted by the static of our indifference. Fine-tune us with the delicate touch of soul perception. Grant us the privilege of hearing thy magic melodies in the ecstasy of divine awakening. One of the first books that I received of Swami Krenanda from Ananda was his book on Hatha Yoga. It was then called Yoga Postures for Self-Awareness. I think the name of it currently is Ananda Yoga for Higher Awareness. But it was interesting because I'd been involved in meditation and Hatha Yoga for about five years, not following this path, when I received that book. And the one thing that I noticed right away that was unique uh, was that it had the emphasis of mental affirmations with the asanas, with the yoga postures. And it was intriguing to see that, very unusual. And I, I appreciate it from the beginning, although I have to admit, there were times doing some of the postures, I felt, hey, it's hard enough just to stretch into the jackknife pose. I don't really want to deal with some other thing happening. But I persevered, I trusted, and I'd never met Swamiji, and I'd never been to Ananda at that point. But I thought, this feels right. This feels like a good approach. It feels like it's more complete. And so I continued using those affirmations as best I could. But then one time, I had this insight, this experience, in the asanas, in yoga postures. And it was like a revelation, in essence. I could understand and feel that the mental affirmations were the same experience for the mind that the physical posture was for the body. It's it just like it came together as it, w because I think for a lot of people um, with the affirmations, at least for me in the beginning, and I think it's true for many in the beginning, is that it seems like we're adding in a layer. You know, we're repeating this phrase mentally, whatever it might be. And it's a good beginning. But the understanding of prayer and affirmation is that we already have that experience. And what I came to in that insight was that experience was integrated. That the mental phrase was my soul call through my mind as that soul call was happening in my body through the physical motion of that asana. But isn't that interesting? It's a different way of understanding it. And it's really true with when we do any affirmation. It's not so much that we're trying to get that affirmation as our experience. We're simply investing our energy, our consciousness, to remember that experience. But different, isn't it? It's why when you hear music or chanting that it resonates at times. You know, I, it was the same when I first heard Swami Kriyananda's music. 
when I came here in 1978. Um, they seem to be very simple songs. But beyond the simplicity or whatever the words were saying, there was a vibration that I, I could feel readily and know that this is more than just entertainment. This wasn't in just filling in um, between meditation and the Sunday service talk. It, it was really something more complete as an experience for me. But when you think of prayer, when you think of, of faith, when you think of those two together, prayer allows us to initiate our alignment. Faith is when we have more of that experience of that alignment. So it's interesting because I was just reading something from Swami Kriyananda. I believe it was in the book Awaken to Superconsciousness, which if you haven't read it, read it and the other 138 books that Swami Kriyananda <laughs> read, 139. But he, he makes this point in talking about prayer that you should meditate first before praying. And isn't that interesting? Because what did we start this Sunday service with? Besides an affirmation, we did a prayer. And then we went into music and then we uh, meditated. But, so it's not as if we shouldn't pray before we meditate. Obviously, it's part of how we can tune in. But there's a difference when prayer becomes the experience of our soul call. And that's why the emphasis is there to meditate before we pray. So even before you pray, like a group prayer that we did this morning, or on your own, take a moment just to feel, perhaps even as the prayer is starting in the group prayer, to feel your own true self. To orient from that depth because that depth is always there. It's not as if you have to produce it. We have to remember it. And that's different than producing it. But it's there. So with all the things that we do, the prayer is more the soul call coming into focus from the depth of who we are. And affirmations are the same. They're just an experience, uh, a way of allowing that to come into our lives more real, more powerfully. But if we can make sure that we're tuning in to the origin of that, that's in consciousness, that's in the heart's energy, that's in our awakened awareness, then prayer becomes an extension of the divine through us. And that's when we start to realize, and I think most of us have had this experience, maybe not, but when you're aligned that way, truth is yours. Love is yours. Bliss is yours. You, you touch on it. Maybe it's just a touch. Maybe it's not the breadth and depth of what's possible with those qualities. But we know. We know that's who we are. This is our reality. As Parvati mentioned, we were in India and um, I don't know if you paid attention to the prayer at the end of the affirmation about, what was it, loud city, 
noises. So when we were in Delhi, in India, uh, Sangeeta, who runs Ananda India Publications for us, uh, graciously offered her home that we could stay in, because we were there for about two and a half weeks in Delhi. She lives on what's known as Outer Ring Road. And it's, as we joked the other day, it's six lanes, so it has 20 lanes of traffic. <laughs> and, and the bedroom that we're on was just right there, <laughs> maybe about 20 yards away. But it was close, maybe about 10 yards away. And so it's not as traffic ceases anytime much like any big city anywhere in the world. It's as if nighttime really decreases much of that traffic flow. And the difference, though, between Western cities and India is this feature of the vehicle called the horn. <laughs> and um, even though the neighborhood that both the, the Ananda Delhi Center and Sangeeta's house, because they're just not that far apart, there are signs that saying, uh, no horn allowed. But that's in the little side street. <laughs> that isn't applicable to those drivers. And some people have very creative horns. Um, they're like, if you think of you know, what you have as your uh, sound for your smartphone or your iPhone. Well, it's, it's like that except you know, a million decibels. <laughs> and it happens during the night. But what, what was interesting was that the first night was jarring. You know, it really was. And I remember saying to Tradition Davy the next day, I don't know if this can work. Because this is not only uh, intense, it's oppressive, you know, when you have sound going at that level throughout the night. But then I forgot about it. I literally forgot about it. I don't think I heard, except occasionally, uh, a strange horn in the middle of the night. I, I just. Slept through. I didn't put earplugs in. Privacy was wiser and put earplugs in. But it was just interesting because it felt like a nurturing experience. Odd to say, right? Um, and I don't think it's because I'm odd. <laughs> well, that could be true, too. That could be true, too. But it was like it was, and I don't think I did this super consciously. I did it more consciously, that I tuned into so this is just sound. And what is sound coming from? Om. And so I didn't try to really tune into Om was in those sounds. I just allowed, in a sense, my prayer was, let me in, be in the flow of this experience. You know, not on the outside of it, but on the inside of it. And so the variations of the sound through the horns and the busy traffic weren't the factor anymore because I was in the sound behind the sound. And I probably slept the best I've slept in years <laughs> in that situation. It seems odd. Um, but you know what's interesting coming back here? Of course, I've encountered people that live in cities in this country that come here and feel it's difficult because there's no sound at all. But the sound is there, but it just isn't expressed. It's more pure of Aum. And so when we arrived back here, that's what I felt. My prayer was simply, let me be in the Aum behind any external expression. 
But this is how we deal with prayer and belief and faith, is that we, the more we can move in the right direction of, of the essence of things, of the essence through consciousness, then we're more integrated, whatever happens. It really doesn't matter in our lives what takes place as much. Even jarring situations, we can accommodate more, or we can at least come back to our center more easily. Uh, you know, and in India, it's just more dramatic. You know, I remember, because the last time we were in India was 13 years ago, in the same time of year, we were there in November of 2005, when Swamiji was writing The Essence of the Bhagavad Gita, explained by Paramahansa Yogananda. So it's been a long time. Uh, and I remember talking to someone, for those who remember Dr. Pushpendra Charma, who's now uh, living in this country as a doctor, but he was in India for quite a few years trying to deal with his uh, visa to get over here again. He said, 13 years? You will be overwhelmed by the difference in the cities especially. But it's overwhelming always when you go to a large urban setting. I mean, you know, whether it's New York City or Los Angeles, if you're not used to it. So that wasn't really something that was concerning me. It was more, I think both of us were tuning into, so what is the vibration that's in India now, especially in the cities? And what's there is something that for many of us, we must have samskars, memories of lifetimes in India. But it's easy just to feel more of the devotional quality. It's like it envelops you, if you're open to it. You know, the busyness, the, the extremes on the spectrum of living are challenging. You know, I mean, it just is chaos at its highest potential. <laughs> I mean, we were in the area of Delhi that we were staying, just a few blocks away um, was a celebration. When we were there, the celebration was Navaratna, which uh, is a special one. It ends with Dasasera, which is the celebration of overcoming Ravana, the evil demon, by Hanuman and Ramansita. And so not that many blocks away, they had taken over this empty park area and set up an altar for pujas and things. But it was super intense when we walked um, home at night because you could hear just things going on that were always at the highest decibel level. Uh, you know, and it was always that intensity. And I remember thinking that you know, sometimes that's helpful. It's, it's why we start the affirmations out loud. It's why we start chanting out loud. To create a, a real connection, not an imaginary hopeful connection with our conscious, subconscious, and superconscious awareness. We're trying to be in the experience. But so readily, the loudness actually starts to separate us even more from the experience that we're tuning into. And that's why with chanting, and that's why with meditation itself, whatever we're engaged in, we want to emphasize 
that which isn't the doing part, after we've done the doing part. So in chanting, chanting goes into the deeper experience of silence. This must be a morning for sneezing. So I will do this now. It's like a puja. God bless you all. <laughs> Just think. It must be that sneezing must be a way to be reminded of God. As everyone says, God bless you. Gesundheit, God bless you. But, um, so even at meditation, the practice of meditation isn't our goal. It isn't what we're really focusing on. But we have to focus on the practice to come to the experience of true meditation, of being absorbed in that, beyond the techniques, beyond the practice in that way. There was a, an, an, a series of billboards uh, in Delhi that we saw a few times. And one, it, it said, move in now, live free <laughs> for so many months. But I loved it. I thought, that's great. I mean, just move in and then you're free. You, you're close to being a Jeevan Mukta. I thought, that's India. <laughs> but you know, it's an underlying current of reality there. We, we're amused by that expression. And certainly India has moved a lot towards more materialism. That's no question. But there's still this rooted, deeper experience that's there. That's just, uh, uh, for all of us that are on a spiritual journey, it's infectious to be in India that way. Because we're able to tune in and open up to what's there. And we can weed out that which really isn't there for us in the experience. So part of our uh, intention going to India was to go on the Babaji Cave pilgrimage. And I spoke about this the other day to community members. But Parvati actually was the one that inspired us to go. But ironically, that her karma was different. So two days before we were going to go on this four-day Babaji Cave pilgrimage, she sprained her ankle badly. And so she never made it. But it was an interesting situation. So she was able to take time to be in seclusion more uh, and feel Babaji more that way internally. But isn't it interesting when you think about it from the devotee perspective that, you know, Parvati was such an inspiring example to me because I said, well, maybe I should stay in. And she said, no, no, it's fine, you know, go. But she wasn't phased at all by uh, that she couldn't go on the pilgrimage. And it was, that was as inspiring to me as actually going on the pilgrimage. Although the pilgrimage had, had a depth of experience for me. But, but then the challenge, as I said the other day to, to people, was that, you know, when you're going to go on something special like a pilgrimage, especially an isolated short pilgrimage to Babaji's cave, because a lot of us have been on longer pilgrimage where we see a lot of different holy site, sacred sites. But this one is very, very kind of contained in a very specific focus of the cave that Babaji was in, that Lahiri Mahashai came to. So it has this kind of aura of everything to it. That's an interesting aura. But anyways, that's what it, what it brought to mind was, was everything. And, you know, the tendency, of course, like in prayer, is to pray for an expectation, to, to say, God, I need this, or I, can you help me in this way? Which is 
productive, it's helpful. But only if we see it from the context that we're aligning ourselves. It's not that we're expecting that outcome. We're aligning ourselves so God's grace can come in. And so going up to Babaji's cave, it's a long journey from Delhi. Uh, it's an almost six-hour train ride. And then it's an almost two-hour bus ride through windy roads um, uh, up to the place we stayed. And then it's another couple hours the next uh, part of the journey up to Babaji's cave. And then it's a 45 to 60-minute walk at that point. So it involves a lot of moving energy forward already. But because we had two buses, large buses, because we had 38 of us, um, the one bus had Daya and Keshava and, and I forget who else chanting. But Daya pulled me aside and said, can you go in the other bus and help with the chanting? Well, if you've ever gone to the Himalayas, even the foothills, the roads are similar to coming through the Yuba River Canyon, except much more. You know, they're just constantly moving around. I doubt if you could go uh, 50 yards without some twist in the road. And I had to sit up front with the harmonium. And it's like, you know, you know, you just, <laughs> you realize right away, unless you're in that alignment of that flow, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> because you're going to get jerked out of place and obviously our spines are going to be the test. They're going to be jammed up by doing that unless we're fluid and relaxed. And so I just started to relax and granted I missed some of the notes on the harmonium <laughs> moving around like that. But it was interesting because it just helped me to focus again, to attune to, this is an offering. Remember this is what Parvati is reading about, an offering. It's releasing, even releasing the expectations that Wow, I get to be with Babaji. But more the offering, I get to be with Babaji is happening. And, you know, luckily for me, at least I felt blessed by this, that the pilgrimage was primarily Indian devotees. There was just Ke Keshava Daya, Surendra who came, myself, and then another woman not connected with Ananda from Oregon. But the other 33 people were devotees from India. And their vibration was much more what I was trying to tune into. Just more open, letting things flow and things were fine. And it was really like that, that I just felt the, that attunement was really why I was doing this pilgrimage. Whatever happened as an experience with Babaji was simply a further gift. But the gift was really that attunement to be in that flow. And so we spent the day before we went up to the cave as a day of retreat. And we focused on different ways of tuning into Babaji. And then we had a, a nature trail walk in the afternoon to tune into Babaji through nature. We used Bharat's quotes from listening to nature book. And it was just a, a nice soft way, again, to align the energy to be in that attunement, to bring it from prayer that's seeking something into that experience that faith is the acknowledgement of that which is ours already. And so when we went up to Babaji's cave, Mahavir, who many of you have been on a pilgrimage to India and know him from pilgrimages for the last 35 years that he's led, uh, 34 years, but he, um, he thought he'd take us on a shortcut. 
So it, it took an hour longer, um, which meant that we had an hour less at Babaji's cave. And, you know, there was kind of like, yeah, exactly, like, you know. Um, but then I just realized, again, that doesn't matter. If I spend a moment only in this experience, it's what I'm bringing to it. So, like a lot of us, I just start to chant even more deeply, just to Babaji, not even just to Babaji, but tuning into Babaji, feeling Babaji, so that it was as if Babaji was chanting with me inside, and just going at a pace, walking, that allowed that to remain there. And getting there, it's confusing. You know, if you've been on pilgrimage and you put out a lot of effort and suddenly you've arrived at your destination of a sacred spot and your heart is pumping, your breath is challenged, and there you are, knowing that you should be really feeling Babaji. And I thought, that's not my point here. And so we went into the cave, the first group, and just sat there. And again, I just thought, you know, Babaji, it's not that you're missing. I'm just not able to tune in as much. But you're there. Let me just tune into that. Let me just open up and be in that experience. And then it was interesting that I didn't feel that... I felt something, but I didn't feel that deep an experience in the cave. And so we vacated the space for the next group of the pilgrims to come in to meditate. And I was sitting on that little ledge um, that if you remember the little gift from Jodhishan Devi a few years ago for War Brother Day, a little plastic container with a Rudraksha bead, and there's a photo of them sitting with these malas. Well, that's the ledge I sat on. Almost instantaneously, sitting on that ledge, outside of the cave, I just sat, literally, I could just feel, it was like a sunburst in my heart. And I could just feel then, it was like there was a, a connective opening to just being with Babaji on that deep level. And I thought, let me not waste trying to have this experience. Let me just be deeper in the experience. And that's what faith is. Faith is when we come to the experience of where we're hoping to be. And for me, it just felt like one more example in the spiritual journey to, to know what that is. But we always have that possibility every day in our lives, wherever that might be, in this day today. If we can just open up, align ourselves, be open with devotion, be open with the, the qualities of kindness and receptivity, of self-offering without hesitation, then that is the experience of faith. That is when we move beyond affirming or praying, and we know that the divine is with us always. Let's take a moment of meditation. <laughs>